Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Elon Musk bought Twitter on Monday for $44 billion. But does it really matter who owns Twitter? Twitter has become a company of influential people. It's the one where everyone sort of turns to first for news in the world. It's where all the politicians sort of put their public record tweets and things like that on there. And that's what he sort of bought out. The Globe's technology reporter, Timur Durrani, is on the show today to tell us how the deal went down and how it'll affect the social media platform that influences how we talk about everything from politics to what we had for lunch. This is The Decibel. Tamora, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Thank you for having me. This is the first time we're talking. Yeah, it's it's good to finally actually get to talk to you here. Mm. Um, and I'm glad we're getting to talk about Twitter. So this is big news this week. Elon Musk, the richest man on the planet, he paid a lot of money to buy Twitter. Um, he paid more than what the company was actually valued at. He paid a 38% premium on each share of Twitter. What exactly did he buy? Well, Twitter, I think, is one of those platforms in the way that he phrased it, I think, is the most interesting way to call it. He said, Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. And that's what it's become compared to other social media companies that we've seen, like Facebook, TikTok, that's now a new one, um, getting a lot more active users compared to uh, some of the other companies. Twitter has become a company of influential people. It's the one where everyone sort of turns to first for news in the world. It's where all the politicians sort of put their public record tweets and things like that on there. And that's what he sort of bought out. But I think this news is important, not just because Elon Musk has bought Twitter, because this makes Mr. Musk, the single person in command of the world's most valuable automaker, which is Tesla, the private firm conducting U.S. space launches, which is SpaceX, and the communications medium used by the world's most powerful people. So in one fell swoop, this man's more powerful than most politicians in the world in the power that they have. Yeah, because Twitter is one of those platforms where every politician, a lot of influential people use it. It doesn't have as many users, actually, as as other platforms. Can you give us a sense of, you know, the numbers on Facebook versus the numbers on, on Twitter? Mm-hmm. 2012 was the first time that Twitter actually talked about this publicly. Uh, and it talked about the fact that, you know, the reality is that this is a platform where very few people actually use it versus the people that are actually on there who just watch the tweets. So most people, a very small fraction of people aren't really going to are, are going to be the only ones that are going to be tweeting versus the people that are actually on there just to read the tweets. And this is common for a lot of other platforms still. So on Instagram, most people don't post the amount of users that are actually on there who actually use it to post and do things like that on Instagram. Same for TikTok. Um, when it comes to the numbers themselves, Twitter is actually very, very low on the ranking of other companies that it compares itself to. As of last year, uh, Twitter had 206 million monetizable daily active users worldwide. TikTok, on the other hand, which is an emerging platform, has 1 billion active users as of the end of last year. Hmm. Instagram, for example, by the end of last year, reached a new milestone of 2 billion users, active users worldwide. Um, Facebook is 1.93 billion active users. 
So Twitter has never really, since its inception, it's not been one of those platforms that has a lot of active people on there. But it's more about who is and is not active on Twitter. So it's always the most powerful people in the world that will be actually sharing those tweets, who we go towards. Donald Trump was, of course, very, very prominent for this because what he would say would become public record when he tweeted about it. Um, mm-hmm. And so then it changed how politics were viewed. We've also seen Twitter sort of uh, work around and whatnot and influence in elections before. So this is a very powerful tool for communications all around the world. And that's what Elon Musk has bought out. Yeah. And you use the term there, monetizable users. Could you just kind of briefly tell us what, what do you mean by that? There's a really famous uh, quote by a former Google executive, Tristan Harris, who very famously said, if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. A lot of people are confused about how and why social media companies make so much money, because isn't it free for you and me to download these apps? Mm-hmm. You know, we just download them for free. We use them for free. Why are these companies making money? How are they making money? Of course, the first answer is advertisements. You know, this is something a lot of people would know inherently, but it's not just about the advertisements themselves. It's about how we are the product for those advertisements. So the data that is collected through the tweets in this case that you and I would make or the tweets that we view and that we interact with is data that is really valuable to a lot of companies, especially advertising companies. So Twitter makes a lot of its money based off of advertisements in a bunch of different ways. Uh, First, of course, is promoted tweets. So tweets would come up that are promoted by companies where they want you to sort of buy a product. They're, they're basically advertisements then. Advertisement, yeah. exactly. But there's also brand partnerships there. So, you know, sometimes Twitter will collaborate with a brand where it might not need to flag it that it's an advertisement, but they're just funny tweets, you know, so edgier tweets of Wendy's kind of beefing with McDonald's that we've seen before that have made headlines and things like that, right? And so those are things that Twitter does make money off of. Last year, it did introduce a suite of new paid features. It's called Twitter Blue. And this is something that we still don't have enough data about that, you know, whether they're making a lot of money off of it. But analysts have said this is very, very, very little compared to the revenue that it's making from other areas. Yes. Hmm. Okay, so that gives us some context about what Twitter is now. What did Musk say about what he plans to do with Twitter now that he owns it? It remains unclear, you know, about a lot of questions where exactly he wants to take Twitter and what exactly this would mean for the changes that he wants to make there. But I'm going to read you his quote because his quote, I think, is very interesting in the news release that Twitter sent out. It said, free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. This is Mr. Musk. And then he continues to say, I also want to make Twitter better than ever by enhancing the product with new features, making the algorithms open source to increase trust, defeating the spam bots and authenticating all humans. Mm -hmm. Twitter has tremendous potential. I look forward to working with the company and the community of users to unlock it. Now, this quote reveals certain things to us, but it also actually leaves us with a lot more questions, perhaps, about what exactly will happen. Like, we don't know what authenticating all humans means. Mm -hmm. We don't know how exactly he's going to defeat these spam bots. We still don't know any of that, right? But from what we've seen with Mr. Musk before, his whole idea with buying Twitter has always been about free speech, his version of what free speech looks like. And so there's been a lot of questions about whether, for example, Donald Trump, who was famously kicked off of the platform, whether he will be brought back on. Yeah, I think that was a, a question in a lot of people's minds is, is Donald Trump going to be back because he he was banned before. So that, that's kind of still up in the air. We don't know exactly which way that's going to fall. Um, let's come back to this idea of, of free speech, because this seemed to be something that Musk was was highlighting there, as you said. When he says free speech, what exactly is he getting at? 
Elon Musk has been for a long time a big proponent of certain ideologies that he really likes to tweet about. So, for example, he's interfered quite a bit with what happened with the Ottawa convoy protests, uh, where he supported and tweeted out to his 80 million plus followers about something where he compared Justin Trudeau to Hitler. Uh, and then he deleted that tweet when media started asking him questions about it. And he has yet to answer any questions about why he deleted this or why he stated what he did. So, of course, his view of free speech on Twitter is something that we still don't know what exactly it means. But if this company goes private the way Mr. Musk wants it to go, it could be very well something that he could allow whatever he wants to. It's going to be a free for all in a lot of ways. Okay, so let's talk about that that kind of distinction and the public versus private company distinction, because Twitter was a publicly traded company uh, before. But after this deal goes through, it will be privately owned by Musk. Does that mean that he can do whatever he wants with it? Yes and no. Uh, No, because there's still public scrutiny attached to it, no matter what he does, right? But it depends on whether any of that public scrutiny will translate anymore to a private company. See, right now, what Twitter looks like is there are shareholders, there is a board that is there to sort of help make changes or anything that comes up with Twitter is something that needs to go through the board, is something that needs to go through the shareholders. And then there's the regulatory sort of approvals and whatnot that need to be put across from a business perspective and really from a features perspective or anything that happens on Twitter. But at the moment, based on what this deal looks like, where he's taking it private, Mr. Musk can do whatever he wants. Uh, the founder himself, Jack Dorsey, he did a long thread where he talked about how he believes this should have always been a private company. This should have always been a uh, utility more than a business. Uh, and so let's see where this goes. But we have very few answers for sure. Let's see if we can get into the motivations of of Musk here a little bit. What do we know about why Musk decided to buy Twitter? Like what makes Twitter worth $44 billion to him? I think it's not necessarily about the money itself to Elon Musk. He's a very rich man. He's the richest man in the world. Of course, he did have to take a loan for this that, you know, two Canadian banks helped him as well. With his own two other companies, it's interesting because with Tesla and SpaceX, those have not done a lot of advertisements. He is the advertisement. He is the person who is sort of the brand of the company and sells it to his boosters and his, you know, followers uh, on Twitter and other platforms that really believe in his mission and what he wants to do with the world. Um, And so Twitter is something that really helps him sort of be able to control all of that and put it in a place where he would be able to direct it in the direction that he wants it to go. You know, we've seen him before go on a whim uh, and make purchases and acquisitions just because he woke up the one day and decided he wanted to. But I guess there must be there must be some kind of, you know, financial value here, because as you said, there's two Canadian banks that helped bankroll this. So RBC and CIBC um, are two of the there's many banks that actually helped with different types of loans here. So it's not all Musk's personal wealth that's that's bankrolling this. What makes this deal worth it? This is a company and a social media platform that has the most influential people in the world on there. So it is something that does turn out revenue every year in the millions. But this is a company that is it's an asset class in a group of things that you could potentially be owning and that is influential in terms of sort of directing it towards a place. Billionaires before have done this as well. This uh, Jeff Bezos, for example, before this owns the Washington Post. This was a, you know, a legacy media buy for him. It was a 2013 acquisition of the Washington Post. And then, of course, we saw Rupert Murdoch's take over the New York Post in 1976 and then the Wall Street Journal in 2007. Um, and those are media buys that people did not think would ever happen, but they 
they did for a reason. They are asset classes for these billionaires. And so for them, this is something they feel, you know, adds value to their whole brand as a whole. And Elon Musk is someone who believes this is something that would add value to his brand. We really only started hearing about Musk's bid to buy Twitter last week, though. So just to go back to then, how did the owners of Twitter, the people running Twitter, first react to Musk's bid to buy it? Elon Musk has always joked about wanting to buy Twitter or do have something to do with Twitter. Earlier this month, he was being announced as he was going to be joining the board. But then soon after, he said that he wanted to buy Twitter. Before that, earlier in April, the social media company had a lot of pushback against him. And they had adopted a poison pill to protect itself from Musk's uh, $54.20 per share offer. When you say poison pill, what does that mean? So a corporate poison pill is not designed to kill a company. It's more formally known as a shareholder's rights plan and only gets triggered when a potential acquirer crosses a certain ownership threshold, which is 15% in the case of Twitter. Uh, once triggered, it allows all the other shareholders except the acquirer to buy more shares at a deep discount, which is just a basic way of saying that it's a company protecting itself from someone who's trying to buy it out, which is what Twitter was doing in this case. Okay. Okay. So it's an action that a company can take in order to protect itself from one person gaining control. Is, is that fair? Exactly, exactly. But the shareholder said that after a bunch of boardroom meetings and after a bunch of other internal discussions, they thought that Elon Musk's offer was too hard to reject. And so therefore, they have decided to accept it. So what changed if, the, if initially the board did not want Musk to take over the company? What changed in order to make this deal happen? I think the reason for that was because Twitter had not been getting a lot of offers like this before. And this was a really good offer for this company. This was an offer where they haven't been valued at this price by anyone really before. $43 billion for Twitter is a good bargain for them to be able to get a good bunch of money for this company that wasn't necessarily making that amount of money in revenue and wasn't necessarily heading towards that direction. So it was really, it was too good a deal to pass up for Twitter then. Exactly, exactly. So if people are maybe worried about what Twitter is going to look like going forward, will people leave the platform? So Monday, a lot of people started saying they really wanted to leave that platform as soon as this news became public that Twitter was going to be under Elon Musk. I don't know if it's going to translate into a lot of people leaving, enough people leaving, that it's going to be turned into a completely different looking platform with very few users. And there was actually a challenge going on amongst some people on Twitter where people said, if enough of us leave, uh, maybe it won't be worth what money he paid for it. Maybe this will, will put it down. But there's not nearly been enough people leaving Twitter for it to be going down that route where it's no longer something that is feasible for Mr. Musk to own. And I think it's mixed because there are a lot of followers of Elon Musk who are very, very excited that he is going to be taking this company up and that he is going to be putting it in a direction where his version of free speech, which he calls himself a self-described free speech absolutist, is something that he wants to take this direction for the company. Can we expect any, any imminent changes to Twitter once this all goes down? Right now, no. And I think that's important to note is that they actually, so this was a really good report from the New York Times where they talked about how there has already been a locked in mechanism for employees not to make any changes to Twitter. As soon as this deal was announced, there was an idea, a threat of some employees within Twitter that could go rogue. Uh, and so they wanted to make sure that no one completely put up new features or things like that while Elon Musk's uh, acquisition was going through. So Twitter will 
will no longer put up any new features up until this deal is finalized. So we don't know what exactly will happen, where its direction it will go in. But for now, we're going to still remain in the same place that Twitter looks like. Timur, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our intern is Emily McPhail. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.